Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the WaxCast podcast. I am your host, Gavin Wax. This is our 10th yeah, high energy here at the WaxCast, and this basically means myself. Uh, but I'm very happy for our special 10th episode uh, to have on a good friend of mine, someone that I've come to know uh, very closely over the last few years, uh, who's a big supporter of my club, the New York Young Republican Club. Uh, his name is Rabbi Yekezko Moskowitz, and he is also the president of Chove Zion, which is a Jewish heritage uh, nonprofit organization that does great work on behalf of both uh, uh, Jewish interests, Zionist interests, and advancing. American uh, conservative values. So I'm very happy to bring on uh, Rabbi Moskowitz to the program today. Rabbi, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure to be with you and to see you and to speak to you, Gavin. Thank you so much. Now, I wanted to bring you on because you have a lot of insights into maybe some of the behind the scenes of what's going on or what has been going on in the administration with Trump, um, within the party at large. Um and I wanted to get your insights because uh, one area that many people, uh, including myself, have been very critical of Trump and of the administration and have pinpointed many of its failings to has been personnel, has been the people surrounding him. Because many people rightly say that personnel is policy. It's not who's in charge. It's the next hundred people after him. Um, and in that regard, in many of the first four years of the administration were plagued uh, with infighting, with drama, with leaks, with people who weren't committed to the message. And that hamstringed the president's ability to enact an America first agenda. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on the whole situation, what you've come to experience and what you've learned uh, through the last four years of this administration. So first of all, I'll say that, like, obviously, it's like kind of painful for me to like even like come out and speak about this because that here we are, the electors um, have elected Joe Biden as the president. And even though there are all kind of um, various maneuvering that still is going on, and, you know, I'm still praying for that Hanukkah miracle that things will turn around. But at the same time, we can't deny the fact that based on just the way of things and the way that the system is going and without without tearing the whole system down and breaking it so to speak we're going to end up with a joe biden presidency and it's we're going to be debating this for a long time whether or not this is the right decision to let this happen but at the same time it's something um, we hope that we're doing the right thing for our democracy and that we're going to go through the process and we're going to continue fighting right so but with that so i was recently um meeting with a pretty high level official in the administration. And I told him the following, and it's like, it's hard to say this in a public setting. So you basically get that exclusive, but thank you. It's my first gift of Hanukkah. Yeah. But like the people listen to you are people who I believe are like-minded individuals. And if there are any reporters out there, don't bother to contact me because I'm not going to answer your questions. So the, the, the bottom line is, is that, the president had this acute instinct of what the American people need and what we, and he recognized the huge adversarial country that exists right now, and that's China. And he recognized how China and has wrecked the U.S. economy and has really laid that foundation to basically take America and remove it from being the quote-unquote economic superpower of the world. And that's really what gives America the ability to propagate its message is the fact that it has 
that economic supremacy. Without that economic supremacy, it doesn't matter how many F-35s or F-22s you have, without having that economic ability to do sanctions, the economic ability to create wealth, to generate wealth for your citizens, you don't, the, the military might is not enough, uh, unless you are obviously a dictatorship. You see across Europe, how there's a lot of potential, um, potential for wealth, but at the same time, if it's concentrated in a certain way, like it is in the European Union, then the countries are not as powerful as they would like. And what America really is, is that it's this economic superpower where there's that quote unquote American dream that our forefathers came from Europe to live here because that there was those opportunities to be here. And based off the, 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 the work and the sweat and the labor of those people who came to this country, they were able to create this amazing country that offers true opportunity for everybody. And that in itself was a testimony to America's uh, ability to generate that wealth and in turn propagate its message of freedom and liberty for all people to the world. Right? Now it's a China, thing. Yeah, 100%. Now China obviously has is 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 a is a is a competitor to us is a competitor to us ideologically and they want to be able to compete with us so they realized that the only way they can do that is if they are able to compete with us on an economic level. And therefore, they basically started doing all the things they do, like IP theft, generation of, of manufacturing, critical mineral, um, and basically natural resource um, development, development, which we basically shut down over the last 30 years based on liberal progressive policies like of Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter. So basically, we take all of these, these so to speak, all of these... Um, various industries and we move them over to china so therefore that takes away from the middle class the ability to have these secure jobs that give them the opportunity at a better life so in the end the same so what happens is you have this huge disparity between the wealthy and the middle class that they end up becoming the poor class so then the whole the whole civil society crumbles crumbles right and that's what china did president trump recognized that and basically because I think his quote-unquote blue-collar um, roots coming as from a kid from Queens, living in New York, salt-of-the-earth type of guy, you know, like one of the things that like was a perfect example of that is like, um, I forgot what that video was called where the president was going around the Trump Hotel and like taking the job, like working with all of the people that are like in, in the lower positions. Do you remember what I'm talking about? That Oh, that it was like a TV show? Like where, TV show where he like went down into like the Trump Hotels and he was like, he was like for one day like the dog walker but he he dressed up yeah exactly yeah uh undercover bosses undercover boss exactly so that type of attitude that he had that he can do that like i promise you right now like bill gates can never go and like work as a as like like could go for like a day and like do the different jobs that are being done at microsoft Microsoft. elon musk by the way might be the kind of guy who could i don't know i don't know him well but like Mm -hmm. I don't see Bill Gates or, or yeah. Jeff Bezos ever doing that kind of thing. You know, like no. they're out of touch with reality. Do you see, do you see like, um, like, like even like, um, whatever his face is, uh, Jack from Twitter and, um, oh, no, he's, he's totally clueless or Zuckerberg. Yeah. None of them. Yeah. And Zuckerberg, like these guys, like they might've come from there, but at the end of the day, like they're just not there anymore. You know, they lost it. They lost it. The they for sure lost it. And he maintained it and he felt it. But what happened was, is that, even though that he had that 10,000 mile type of view of like what needs to be done when it came to staffing, there were two issues. Number one is that the establishment Republicans 
who believe in free trade, who believe in all these quote unquote la-di-da, feel-good type of policies. Neoliberalism. Neoliberalism, exactly. We're not able to execute those those policies because they didn't know how to. And then you had a lot of younger people like our age who were meant well and wanted to do the right thing. But at the same time, they didn't have the quote-unquote institutional experience to navigate the system and how to work it in the right way. And quite frankly, they also didn't get the the backing of not only not it's not really the backing of the boss because if he knew he would like lose his you know blank 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 you know but the right. people below him who are supposed to empower various staffers across the White House to be able to do these certain things didn't give them the backing because that a lot of the people who are running the show are clinical narcissists so like they ended up not and they 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 withheld from certain people, the ability to get things done. I'll give you a perfect example. So as you probably know, I have a, a company that basically is a business development accelerator firm specifically for what I call America First Projects because that I, I, I've been graced with a tremendous amount of political capital um, due to my family's generosity. And I was like, basically, and my family doesn't really ask for anything. Like they just support the party. They've been supporting the the party for 40, 50 years. My grandfather of blessed memory was, 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 was very close with many congressmen and senators back 30 years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. So like the, the family has long standing roots in the Republican party and being supportive of Republican causes. And also they supported obviously Democrats when there was such a thing as a blue dog Democrat. Like they right. used to be like the, like the, um, like the, um, Got his name. The there was a there was a Democrat there was a Democrat well known who Scoop Jackson Scoop Jackson right. Democrats. So these people were would be, today be Republicans. You know, like they're more conservative. They're more conservative than Jeff Van Drew. You know, right? So, exactly. So like they make they make um I don't know they make uh like what's his face the the, the guy who, they make Mick Romney look like a like a liberal. They're probably you know? if you look back on in a timeline, they're probably to the right of many in the par- in the party today. I mean, yeah, especially sure. the Romney types, etc. Yeah. So like the having that long standing relationship with with Republicans gives me the ability to to speak to them and to have a relation and to do a lot of relationship building out of respect for what my family has done for the party and also our continued support, which is pretty much disclosed in public knowledge. Right. Um, I had the privilege of being very helpful to my family in, in managing those relationships. And I've developed those relationships myself over the last couple of years. And I was like thinking to myself, like, what am I going to do with all of this political capital? You know, like there's a lot of political capital here. We need to take it and we need to help the American people with it. So we started using it in two ways. Number one is we start up the organization, the Jewish Heritage Preservation Society, to basically create a narrative that counters that 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 preconceived notion that all Jewish are left, Jewish, Jews are leftists. You know, they talk about right. the Jewish love, vote, and like when people meet you or people meet me, they think like, "Wait, you're Jewish and you vote Republican?" That's like the weirdest thing, right? Right, so right. We, so we did a lot of canvassing and a lot of like grassroots like advocacy and education on the hill to change that narrative and to change to show that Jews care about like Orthodox Jews and um and and um and obviously secular politically conservative Jews care about things much that they care about Israel, obviously, but they also care about America because we recognize that America is basically the first time in Jewish history 
where Jews are able to walk around freely and able to express their Judaism in a free and, and non-judgmental way. And the country has been a place that's provided us a tremendous amount of wealth and opportunity. And it's something that 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 um, we have to do whatever we can to preserve that, you know, because it while I'm like, a, quote unquote, a, a Jew who believes in like the the messianic era, and I believe there'll be a time when the Judea, kingdom of Judea will come back and Jews will have their own country and they'll be successful, etc. Blah 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 blah. Same time, like I believe that that's a time that you have to you have to wait as a religious person. I believe there's a time when that happens, and right now that doesn't. It's not happening right now. It might happen tomorrow. It might happen 20 years from now. And right now, this, the United States has been this like safe refuge for Jews, and we got to do everything we can to stop the the growing of anti-Semitism. Which quite frankly stems on both sides from from different factors. Now on the left, it's not very it's very difficult to stop it because that liberal progressivism basically is antithetical to traditional Judaism and stands against everything that traditional Judaism believes in. So it's very hard right. to change that. So like on one hand, I have to like work with like Democrats and like try to get Democrats like Dan Lipinski, who unfortunately lost his race, but like there are other Democrats out there who like. I don't agree with them politically on many issues, but at the same time, like I need to sh- like work with them to try to. But that's part them. of the game. That's part of right. working in politics. Right. You have to be able to have to strengthen them because it, otherwise we end up with an entire party that's AOC, right. and it's a huge danger to the Jewish survivability in this country. If you're only an ideologue, you'll never get far. You need to be of willing to, to to engage. And I and I engage with Democrats who ideologically I could I could work with them on many issues. And by right. the way, a lot of them are. A lot of them, besides for their social liberal perspective, a lot of them are America firsters. They just, because of the winds of the party, are very, it's very difficult for them to express it. That's so a concept they, a lot of people don't don't delve into. I think a lot of people have been rolled into this overarching Democrat Party platform that they may not 100% subscribe to. And, right. and had the dynamics been different, you could have found some crossover votes. But I just want to reel it in a bit because um, you, you brought up a lot of interesting concepts. Uh, first of all, obviously, uh, the, the economic uh, the issues that you discussed with this, this, this collapsing middle class, this collapsing working class, with the globalism, shifting jobs, shifting all these strategic resources and industries overseas, particularly to China, has really gutted this country. And that's the, the energy that Trump tapped into to lead to his, to his uh, ascendancy, which was completely um, historic in so many levels. But when yeah. he got into that position under that banner, of pushing back against this sort of Chinese neo-imperialism, which is essentially gutting our country, enriching themselves, and just slowly dominating strategic sectors and strategic countries across the world. They're building their empire. For sure. They were all doing this. Trump pushed back. He got into power. His message was make America great again. We are going to bring jobs home. We're going to reindustrialize. We're going to protect national interests. We're going to protect national sovereignty. Everyone supported it. He won on a mandate, probably a bigger mandate that was even shown in 16 because we know the fraud exists and we know many people may have believed in him but never thought he was going to win. So he definitely had a mandate. But the problem that you were describing was that the only people in D.C. that had the institutional knowledge to really effectuate it were not actually subscribing to this political ideology. They were technically just establishment. Okay, let's, they were, let's, let's take a yeah. perfect example. We'll just work with like what I tweeted yesterday. I don't know if you read that thread. Yes, okay? I want to talk so about that. Senator Lamar Alexander, right, who yes. was basically the chairman of the Senate Appropriations for Energy and Water in, in the Senate. Okay, so. I was for the last couple, so as I said, I saw the set, just back to like what I was saying before. So then I also started my business development accelerator to basically find projects that I think the China, that I did a lot of research on 
anything the Chinese are working on and trying to strengthen their economy and to make um, to make China great. I said that is a business that I want to be involved in because at number one, there's a lot of people who aren't there's not a lot of people who are working on those issues and trying to make businesses that help that. But at the same time, I felt like if the Chinese care about it, then, then we should care about it. So I'm getting involved in those businesses. So one of the things that I discovered was that there's this there's this type of nuclear technology called thorium. And it's a legitimate technology, and it was developed by a Jew, Dr. Alvin Weinberg, who developed both the current methodology, which is use, uses uranium, and there's also the thorium fuel cycle. And during the Manhattan Project, they basically had this breeder reactor where they were able to create a synthetic material called uranium-233. Now, this uranium-233 has basically, and there's the Yitzchak, um, so you have, we're very relaxed here, right? So anyway... <laughs> So, so the uranium-233 has two amazing properties in it. Number one, it's the seed for creating a thorium fuel cycle. And secondly, it's the nuclear material down blends and it turns into other materials, okay? I'm trying to give you a very basic explanation. Yes, okay? thank you. I wasn't now, reading chemistry. Now, when, the, when it decays, okay, when it decays, different types of new materials are created. It's part of nature. The, the decayed product creates new products. So now when uranium-233 decays, it creates something called actinium-225, which is another um, another chemical. And that chemical can be used, that was also actually researched by a Jew in Sloan Kettering, to develop, that's basically a miraculous cure for cancer. Okay, interesting. So basically the future of, Ameri of, of, of energy will produce two things. Number one, clean carbon-free emission um, a very highly compacted energy source that will take us to the stars. But in tandem, it will also, its decay byproduct will create a miraculous cure for cancer. So few, the, the studies that they've done in Sloan Kettering, I will show you when I see you next. I mean, if I had the ability to share the screen, I would, I would show you some pictures. Basically, like you, you see the people within one to two, it's called targeted alpha therapy within one to two shots basically the people the cancer disappeared forever this is like stuff that like is a mir miraculous and china is investing into trying so to dominate china, this industry and, and this china went and learned about this they went and they, they industrial espionage right, is one of the exactly yes and then they basically did an mou with the obama administration where they came here to the u.s and they're still from what i understand unless it's not it's been canceled they pay oak ridge national lab which is a federally owned lab Right. It was I in the believe, news because of their uh, their di that 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 wokeism with the, exactly. with the racial and the gender uh, nonsense. Yes. So, they, so they do. They were paying five million dollars a year to learn everything there is to know about thorium technology. Hmm. And then they've been traveling here with their scientists coming here. Well, you said five hundred thousand. Five million. Oh, sorry. But that's five, still not a lot. No, no. Five million a year to learn everything there is to know over a 10 year period about this technology that's worth, that's just worth crazy. That's like, it's the technology is the, the key oh, yeah. to the future. And yeah. why, why is it the key to the future? Because that these type of reactors can actually be made a lot smaller. So you could theoretically export nuclear energy. So basically this is just one of, I'm sure, sadly, I'm sure many examples exactly. of American technology, industry, ingenuity that should be protected as a strategic national interest, just being sold exactly. off, not even to the highest bidder, 
just being sold off yeah. in the most cheap fashion to the, the Chinese who are gutting us. And the rationale of the Obama administration, if we give them the benefit of the doubt, is like, wow, the Chinese are destroying the environment. Let's give them a nuclear energy source. So that way they'll have a clean, they'll, 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 they won't. That's what I, I'm trying most to. Most juvenile, most juvenile rationalization okay, for exactly. them. But then. You know, how does if, Lamar Alexander factor into this? I'll give you. So then the best, so. So the, 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 during the Manhattan Project, they did, they made about 2,000 kilos of this uranium 233 and they ran a fuel cycle for, I don't remember exactly how long, but I think it's like over five years without any incident, super safe. And the military industrial complex decided that they don't want to use this technology and they went with uranium instead. Why? Because it, you can't proliferate this technology. It's not, you doesn't, you can't make a, it's not effective to make a bomb. Does it, the byproduct is not plutonium, so they said this. And the summer and the and the nuclear submarines were using uranium already. So the so the military industrial complex decided it's not worth it, and they shelved the project. So it was basically sitting in oak. Some of it was sent to different places. Some of the material got contaminated, and you had this fresh 400 kilos of of this material in Oak Ridge. Now, Oak Ridge, because of the because of September 11th, the, the it became a Category One facility. And basically the folks in Tennessee, there was like this road by Oak Ridge and they couldn't drive there because of the proximity to the facility. So Lamar Alexander basically did an appropriations funding bill where they basically dictated that this material is waste. And they started, they was trying to do a downblending program. Now they never succeeded in downblending it because the government, whenever they do anything, they don't do it effectively. So they basically spent over half a billion dollars for the last, I don't know, even 10 or plus years, 20 years, maybe. I don't remember exactly the numbers. It's in my report that we sent to Mr. Alexander. And basically just so then just recently, Bill Gates was trying to build a nuclear reactor in China because he wanted to build nuclear in China. That's what he's been trying to do. During the Obama administration, that was actually happening. Then the Trump administration came in and they said to, to, Trump, to, to Bill Gates, sorry, you're not going to be building your Chinese um, nuclear facilities, reactor, your reactors. And he he lost it. I spoke to a person, a senior person, careerist who was on the call with Bill Gates. He was yelling and screaming and acting like a Meshugana, basically Telling them, like, what are you guys crazy? There's never going to be nuclear energy in the United States. Like, what is wrong with you? Why are you stopping me? But the careerists who like, like a spoiled child, like a spoiled child, like a, cry like a spoiled child. But, but what happened was, is that careerists decided, and some of them are Republican, that the way to placate him is basically to enable his company, his startup called Terra Power. And they basically have, in it, not, I don't know if this is inadvertently or not. He basically was awarded five of the basically five big uh, five of the big of the big several um, nuclear energy reactor design projects. Like we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of tax domestically. domestically that went to, quote unquote, placate Bill Gates by the U.S. taxpayer subsidizing his reactor designs. Oh, All Great oligarchy right there. Exactly. And all, all of these things don't actually have anything to do with thorium. But one of the ways that they placated him is they, so he found out about this uranium 233. So he made a deal 
where he's going to help accelerate the downblending of this material. Where, but in, and in turn, he gets to keep the actinium-225 by extracting it chemically. And basically, he will have a monopoly over this material for cancer cures inadvertently forever. All because they wanted to placate someone who already has plenty of concentrated of bil- Billions and billions and billions of dollars. One of the richest men in the world. Now but he has access to another strategic resource that hasn't been tapped yet, which, which, which again should be Monopoly. should be a national resource, which should be doled out to startups who theoretically, I'm going to be quite frank, just like mine, who are, don't have Bill Gates's billions, but at the same time have a, a very good science team who want to innovate and who want to actually not only utilize this for medicinal purposes but also for energy purposes. And that's so what that a country was, that knew what they were doing would do. But we've exactly. become a country and we've so let these I, things go to the wayside. So I, so I went and I started, when I learned about this about a year or so ago, I started basically advocating and educating members of Congress and did a lot of work on this and did think tank work and all that kind of stuff. And when I went to Lamar Alexander's team about it, they were so dismissive and so dis- disgusting about it. And... um I spoke to several very high level officials, which maybe if you're further down the line, I'll do name calling because it's, but I don't want to do it right now. Of course, and, of course. And a lot of the people who I spoke to were quote unquote sympathetic, but I discovered that the administration was not willing to stand up to the building, so to speak, and put its foot down and take America's interest first. Now, if the president had known, had known, he would have stopped it just like he did with Yucca Mountain. And just like he did for Matt Gates, where he basically right. stopped offshore drilling in, in, in the panhandle by executive order, right? So it's not done right. by Bill, but he took care of the needs of the voters. Here, the same thing. He could have done it, but he but the people who were at the top were made aware of this. Very they gatekeep. They gatekeep and they prevent they, the they, permission. And, and they also kept me away from him. Mm. And when I and while I did a ton of roundtables with him, and I met him probably ten or not or more times, there was a there was a concentrated effort to keep me away from meeting him in a personal level, where I'd be able to ex- develop that relationship and explain to him these ideas. Mm. And and a classic way this played out was that there was like a low level staffer, like I don't know, senior advisor to the president, which obviously he just there for that's the title, so he could get paid the most. But right. at the same time, he wasn't really. And he was working out of the Office of American Innovation. And I was working very closely with him and got close to him. And I'm telling you, Gavin, this guy's like as MAGA as it gets, okay? Mm-hmm. Our age in his 30s, like so gung-ho about America. And he was so sympathetic to this and a whole other slew of issues that we discussed. But I realized at the end of the day, he just could he just didn't have the juice to to get these things done. Mm-hmm. And I was like trying to like think to myself, like, why? Right, and right. the answer is that because our people did not were not empowered to really go and take names and to go up against the quote unquote establishment careerist caste, the swamp, that, the swamp, so to speak, and 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 the results are are known now today. You see, like somebody and, and it's just one example of what I'm sure has been replicated among a variety of different areas, hundreds of times that have cost us. Who knows how many, in terms of finances, billions, how many missed opportunities. Example, right? People um, probably convinced the president 
that the stock market is the greatest indicator of our economic of the economic health of which this is a joke which is a joke right? right but like you and i know that that did not take care of the needs of the middle class american correct who whose father was working whose father and his grandfather either were mined in a coal mine or did or manufactured in an auto plant right like they didn't they don't care about the s p they don't care about they don't the data they, they don't have a 410k yeah. a 401k to even they don't care they about have, it. Like, yeah they, they have no disposable income to, to invest and whatever they have it's it's in debt so yeah so like the the quote-unquote oligarchs um oligarchs sorry of of the country obviously became very wealthy and the stock market boomed and and and, and that's really the, the the funny thing is that you now you now are at a, at a crossroads where like it's very hard to know what happens next mm. because that the question is is the republic and this is something that we need to discuss is is the republican leadership ready to take what the president started and probably not like, like continue continue or are they going to so to speak placate the see the thing is created wealth and power they have no no chutzpah to go after these issues they're going to they're going to be going to back off and unless he is operating in some kind of environment where he can threaten primaries or he can strategically pressure them they're going to give up because they're not going to have anyone pushing them and they're just going to continue to operate business as usual, which is the same business as usual that's gutted this country, led to the concentration of wealth and power that you discussed, here's and the, led here's to where we are today. Here's the kicker: they talk about the donor class, right? Mm -hmm. I can tell you, there is no Republican donor class. The Koch yeah. brothers doesn't—they don't have the power. Saying, "Who? Let, let's just go through the list. Who are the big Republican donors?" Most of the big money Republican donors are honestly just regular salt of the earth people who've come from nothing. Like even Harold Hamm, okay, who's a who's a multi-billionaire. He's a guy who took risks and did fracking, and that's how he made all his money. Right? Right. But right. ideologically, he's like he's he's like us. There these are right, people right. who are come from the salt of the earth. But then when you look at the liberal progressive donor class, the celebrities. Right, it's right. the media. It's neo-aristocrats. Exactly. So, like, our donors don't, and this is something that needs to be done, our donors don't speak up enough, mm. and our donors don't take a stand, and they still and they get, get And they get fooled by grifters, and they funnel money into things that don't need money. So much money has been wasted that has that, that never gets any return on its value. When the Democrats spend money, they know what they're doing. And they set up tons of shells. They send up tons of nonprofits. They know how to funnel money through different countries. I mean, they have mastered the art of taking this money from the from their donor class and weaponizing it effectively as a political vehicle. Meanwhile, we donate and we give it to you know maybe federal Fed stock or whatever it is. And we got nothing to show for it. We get nothing to show for it. We go all of these these they they write white papers. They mm -hmm. do think tanks. They hire analysts in D.C. They, they get interns, they get their cocktail parties. It's all for the fanfare, but there's no real results that are that we get from it. And that's why we keep failing because it's not a matter of the money. If you look at the money, sometimes there's some parity depending on the year, depending on the, the quarter, depending on the cycle. It's not the, so much the money. It's how the money is spent and it's not being effectively used to advance our ideology, to advance our mission. 
So now here's something that I'm going to say that's going to like probably piss off a lot of your viewers. I think that most of the Republican congressmen actually like like people who you would quote unquote think are like what they would call like establishment cucks, right? Mm -hmm. It's like right, like Kevin McCarthy, Kathy McMorris Rogers. No, they happen to have their heart in the right place. They just need the the donors to actually express what they really feel. Okay, so you have it. You have like the Peter Thiel's of the world who just walked away because they like they just feel like oh well it's too much work. It's we we don't pay for ideology development and the left mm-hmm. does. That's why you have George Soros. In the meantime, you have a guy like Sheldon Adelson who's worth more than George Soros. But what is he on the on, what is he actually done to invest in ideological development? He hasn't, he hasn't built anything lasting. There's nothing lasting. I can I can't point to anything. I'm saying like the Maccabee project, like like I like I heard it has a nice website. That's all I know about it, right? But at the same time he dumped I don't know what it was, seventy, maybe it was like a hundred plus million into into SLF, the Senate Leadership Fund. What has that, that done? Did that money come with a any conditions or any like no. anything? No. So like, see, uh, my, that's the kind of money the Dems would have used to flip five, six, seven seats. Meanwhile, now, we're barely holding on to the Senate, despite all the money, despite states that we should have won easily. And I mean, by the way, SLF is fundraising a, a ton of money now, and I know because they haven't come and asked me for money, so they <laughs> are raising a ton of money, and I'm not like we've done our part in the 2020 election and I'm not going to, and I'll, I'm a, we'll maybe do a little something in the Senate to help, but like for that, those two races, but at the end of the day, I've lost a lot of my appetite, but I mm-hmm. obviously will continue to do what I can do. But most of it has to do with the fact that if you, if, if the election cannot be verified and it's not integral and it's not, it's not secure, then what are we investing the money in? And we're not right. like these investments, they're costly, right? What are we investing that money if the election is a fraud, if it's a sham? Right. And that's the vibe that I get right now. And I think that's why I think the people like I think Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise get this. They know that this is a problem. And that's why they're doing everything they can to support the president in this issue, because they 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 are aware there's a problem. Yeah. There's no point in fundraising if, if the fundamentals of the system are broken exactly. and you could throw as much money at it and it's not going to change any results. So they're doing all the efforts they're doing right now. Like I know Kevin and Steve both signed that letter supporting the president and from Congress that was the amicus brief to the Texas thing and all that. But I think that at the same time, like long term, I think that we're going to need to have a lot of grassroots efforts that are going to change the, 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 um, the course of, of history, so to speak. And and that really segues kind of like into like the next part I want to talk to you about was like, well, well where do we go from here as far as like right, what right. can we do next, right? Right. So I think that like, first of all, we have to be, we have to be, people have to, like people shouldn't just be, have this defeatist attitude. That, okay, Joe Biden now is the president and it's, and it's over. No, we have to like really, we got to do everything we can to fight and to battle for this country. Cause if we don't, then we're going to lose it forever. Right. And right, right. if we work hard and if we make Joe Biden pay, then, then I think we, 
I think that if we make Joe Biden pay, and he understands that there's there's um, there's a accountability, then you will have a situation where where we will be able to flip this flip the house in 2020. And possibly, I mean, I think we set the groundwork. I think the groundwork has been set largely thanks to Trump giving new energy to the party. I mean, all the down ballot has been fantastic at the House races and the state legislative chambers. I mean, the Senate has been a mess, but that's very tied to the presidential numbers, which are not exactly up to par or up to snuff, so to speak. But, you know, they would love for us to be demoralized. They would love for us to just give up and and, and wave our hands because then, you know, they have no real opposition. They have no real threat. But we should really be consolidating. We should be, uh, you know, strengthening our position, reorganizing, regardless of what happens. So we can come back, you know, with with a red wave in, in the midterms and really, you know, neuter his presidency. I mean, we can neuter it if we keep the Senate, which I fully support. We need to, we yeah. need to keep the Senate, even though I have my issues with camp, even though I have my issues with the establishment, even though I have my issues, even with, you know, with Purdue and then he voting for this most recent uh, NDAA, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're still going to be infinitely better. And you can't get involved in politics if you can't put be the, the, these ideals are the goal, but you have to be able to exactly. realize it. it's small victories. It's small battles that get you there. It's about walking that wire, finding a balance between your ideology and your activism, right? Like right. you're, you're very good at it with, with the, with the, with the young, with the New York young Republican club. Yes. Like you have that the club has so much potential to grow and broaden its horizons, right? And that's and and that's honestly how the Republican Party uh, 50 years ago, when the club was, and you know, like it's now it's coming yeah. back to its it's coming back to that. But that's what you took over a, a club in shambles, and which had its so to speak speak, you know, the Republican of Republicans of New York that doesn't exist anymore. But that's right. not true because that so many young people are dying for ideological enrichment and yes. the really the thing is like and this is like the challenge is having donors that invest in these clubs invest in programming and give the the youth the the tools that they need which is all basically boils down to money right. giving them the ability and, and and quite frankly it's a challenge now yeah, i yeah. can say from my own experience i mean i've not Look at me. I've not been able to raise a lot of money for the club. <laughs> but. No, but it, it's about the, you know, they're always looking for glamour projects that are, you know, quick to, you know, give people, uh, you know, a sort of pedigree and quick to, you know, be able to show their worth. But, you know, the left has this long term game where they'll put money into unglamorous, shoddy, fly-by-night nonprofits or whatever it is, but they will build that up. They will build that up. And then sooner or later, you have a, a you have, you know, a, a Soros foundation. You have, you know, all mm-hmm. these massive networks that are literally taking over countries. I mean, you want to talk about color revolutions and all that. That's all possible because they have this massive international uh, financial networks tied through all these nonprofits. They've mastered it, and we haven't. We, we, we play... We play a whole different game than they play. They're ruthless. They're in it to win it. We're in it for 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 nicety. I'll give you an example. Okay, I was speaking to a uh, a nice young Jewish staffer who was working a political appointee at USAID, and she was offered a senior position in USAID, which would have been a career position. And I said to her, so so she called me. She's like, well, should I take? Do you think I should take the job? 
And I said to her, of course you should take the job. She's like, yeah, but I'm a Republican and conservative. I ideologically oppose this whole big government civil service thing. And I said to her, like, yeah, but like, I said to her, like, don't you realize that like, if you, by you not taking the job, which she didn't take the job, like I was like, she, she like, she already didn't take the job and she was just asking me what I thought about her not taking the job. She thought I was going to like give her a pat on the back and say like, oh, you did a great job. I was like, no, like by you not doing the job, now some libtard took the job, and now they're gonna like continue. They're gonna utilize it. They're gonna utilize their their position in USAID to like basically um, transfer U.S. taxpayers to pay for terrorism. You know what I'm saying? Like that's right. like the kind of thing that's gonna happen. And like I was talking to a um, another a republic a senior Republican um, committee staff staff committee member, and they were telling me that they have hard time filling positions on these committees with qualified Republicans because there just, there aren't yeah. qualified Republicans who are willing to take on these committees that like these staff um, positions on these um, senior committees and whatnot. And, and that's something that we don't have. And the left on the other hand has these I'm saying like Rashida, Tlaib, Rashida Tlaib was well known. She like went to one of these um, summer vacation thingies where they basically do activist training and they, they go and they line themselves up around and they do civil service and they they hunker down. And like if we, we need to invest in that because that people our age and younger, they don't they need to say, like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna sacrifice for this country. I'm not gonna take that Wall Street job at Walt Morgan Stanley Stanley or wherever, and I'm gonna go work on the hill. And yeah. and, and it's not the same type of pay, which it happens to be that if you stick it out, you could end most of those people end up or somehow, I don't know how. So like you could probably like, you'll probably make some money eventually. Eventually. Like, right. But at the same time, like it's a service for the country that we need, we need a balance. We need to be able to have good staff on the Hill. And then people like myself who are willing to sacrifice and, and, and be entrepreneurs to, to combat these, these, um, these challenges that we face. It's a full, it's a, it's a very holistic approach, which obviously the left have mastered and we have yet to, we need to find the balance. But I mean, this has been great. I never thought, uh, I didn't think anyone would think that they'd be listening to a, a at 9 p.m., uh, uh, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi talk about uranium supplies and, uh, <laughs> and donor networks. This has been quite a roller coaster. Uh, of discussion points. I think we've covered everything from, just remind me how to pronounce it, Theronium? Thorium. Thorium. We've learned about thorium and we've learned about personnel staffing issues in the White House and we've learned about the differences between the left and right in terms of their donor networks and their donor affiliations. That's all, that's what you get when you talk to Yekeskel. You get, you get the whole bandwidth and, and, you know, I'm sure we could talk about a lot of other crazy yeah, topics. Another two hours, but uh, you're, probably. You're like, well, well, we're, we're not to go roguing. Yet, so I, totally, I have to we cap need to it. Do, like, next time we do this, we need to like, we need to like find like some like dark, like underground bar and like get like a like a nice like like um a good glass of a Macallan. Okay. Um, I like where you're going with this. You need to like make like that like you know like like uh like a like a Joe Rogan slash Alex Jones type of like deep dive, you know? 
Oh yeah, I mean yeah, and you need two hours, you need a lot of alcohol to go through it to to figure out how exactly. dogs are turning gay, uh, which they are apparently. There are some chemicals, but uh, but this was great. I definitely want to have you on again because we could talk about any type of topic. But I want to give the last word to you. Uh, just let us know how we can follow you, what you're doing, your social, etc. Um, so everyone can stay in touch. Yes, you can follow me on on uh, at y mosca y m o s k o, and um, you could also. Follow um, I, I, I actually don't know how. Hold on, let me just check how it's written on Twitter. Okay. But um, hold on, right? C H O V E V E I Z I O N, and our organization is is on uh, is um for all politically conservative people. It's not only for Jews. The whole point of it is to promote Americanism and Zionism. When we talk about Zionism, we talk about the ideals that we share. And I welcome, I hope that everybody goes to the website and checks it out and watches a video that we had playing at CPAC right before the president spoke. And it was awesome. And we want to grow the movement. And I think that um, having people like you, Gavin, involved in what we're doing is very important. And there's, and it's not just a Jewish thing. It's about this, the soul of this country, which we need to fight for if we want to, if we want to secure, you know, you want to make sure that one day your children and my children have a place that they can call home. Right. And Great. that's not, and we, and, and at the end of the day, you know, we have the right of return to go back to Israel. If we ever, if, if, you know, if it ever hits the fan, but at the end of the day, like there's a lot of good people in this country who deserve to have America and we need to fight right. for that because the country has been so good to us. Stay and fight, fight for everything it's given to everyone and um, don't run just yet. But I want to end on that note. Thank you again for coming. We hope to have you back on the WaxCast. And everyone, stay tuned for more uh, episodes. We're going to keep pumping them out with some great uh, uh, individuals to give us insights on a whole variety of topics. So stay tuned for more. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you.